Hello and welcome to the Legal Pulse STL podcast brought to you by the Bar Association of Metropolitan St. Louis. This episode features the Missouri Attorney General candidate debate from the Bench and Bar Conference held on June 3rd, 2016. Features Josh Hawley, a Republican, Teresa Hensley, Democrat, and Jake Zimmerman, Democrat. The debate was moderated by Edward L. Dowd, Jr. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, this should be very uh, entertaining as we have this debate for the, by three of the four candidates who are running for attorney general. Um, and I will start by, uh, first of all, uh, Zoe has passed out some cards. And if you want them, if you want to ask questions, uh, write them on there. And uh, if we can get to them, we'll try. Um, I will briefly introduce the candidates, and then we'll start asking them some questions. Uh, Josh Hawley uh, is a graduate of Yale Law School. He taught constitutional law at Missouri U served as senior counsel to the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, uh, led the Federalist Society at Yale, and was a judicial clerk for the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals and for the US Supreme Court, and was a litigator at Hogan and Lavelle's in Washington, DC. Teresa Hensley is a graduate of University of Missouri, Kansas City Law School. Uh, she practiced law at the Hensley firm for 14 years, uh, and then has been, was appointed by Governor Holden as the Cass County Prosecutor and then was elected County Prosecutor twice, served there for 10 years. She's tried all types of criminal and civil cases, has served as an alder person, and served on the Missouri Child Abuse and Neglect Review Board. Uh, Jake Zimmerman uh, is a graduate of Harvard Law School, was the Deputy Chief Legal Counsel to Governor Holden, uh, was an Assistant Attorney General for the State of Missouri, uh, practiced law at Thompson Coburn, and uh, was elected as St. Louis County Assessor. Uh, and the first question, which will be going to uh, Josh, is why are you seeking the Office of Attorney General? And as part of that, why do you believe you are the best candidate? Well, thank you very much, Ed, and thanks to all of you for being here. Can you hear me all right? I've been told I have a loud voice by my wife, uh, among others. <laughs> oh, it's great to be here. I think that the job of the Missouri Attorney General has always been to protect the people of Missouri. And today, the people of Missouri are facing new challenges that requires, I believe, new leadership from outside politics, someone who hasn't spent his career in politics but has spent his career in the law. And I'm thinking of two in particular. One is the unprecedented and dramatic overreach by our federal government. And the second is the ethics crisis that is enveloping Jefferson City. Let me start with the first. You know, we have a federal government that is increasingly out of control and that is threatening the consumers of Missouri, the citizens of Missouri, the farms of Missouri, families, churches, and you name it. This is a government that is attempting to regulate every drop of rainwater that falls on our farmers' lands, that is attempting to tell business people how they can and cannot run their business, trying to regulate the energy that we consume and that we produce, and in every walk of life is, is attempting to regulate Missouri workers, Missouri families, and is out of its constitutional bounds. This is a serious threat to federalism and the separation of powers, but more directly, it's a serious threat to Missouri citizens, Missouri consumers. You know, we're 47th out of 50th these days in job growth in our state. I think it's 48th out of 50th in overall economic growth over the last span of 10 or 12 years. This is just unacceptable. And one of the reasons is we are overregulated, we are overburdened, and the federal government, the federal bureaucrats are out of control. We need an attorney general who is going to stand up to the federal government and its overreach and fight back at every point that he can. I have a record of doing that. 
I've been an appellate litigator, a constitutional lawyer. I've fought the Obama administration and the federal government, the Supreme Court of the United States, the federal courts and state courts. I know how to do it, and I think that's what the next attorney general of this state needs to do. Secondly, we have an ethics crisis in this state. We have an ethics crisis in Jefferson City. The pay-to-play culture has become endemic in that city. And the Attorney General's office, I am sorry to say, has been part of the problem rather than part of the solution. We've seen far too many reports of investigations modified or canceled in exchange for campaign contributions. I say it is time to clean house and clean up that city. It's time to make the Attorney General's office a model for the rest of the state government and indeed the nation. That's why I propose an ethics plan to stop lobbyist gifts in the Attorney General's office, to stop campaign contributions from folks who are under investigation by the state or have competitive bids before the state. We will make the Attorney General's office in Missouri a model. We'll challenge the legislature to follow suit and we'll set an example for the rest of the country. I'll just close with this. I think that it is going to take an outsider to get this done. We have tried in Missouri now for 25 plus years electing professional politicians who have spent their career in politics in one way or another. And if you like the road that we're on, then I'd say go right on ahead. You have plenty of other options. But if you want a different path, if you think that it's time to stand up and protect our citizens from the new challenges our, states face, our state faces, then I say hire a constitutional lawyer. Hire someone who has spent his career in the law, not in politics, and is ready to go to Jeff City to stand up for the people of Missouri in this new era of new challenges. Thanks very much. Thank you, Josh. Teresa? Thank you. Thank you for having us today. I am glad to be in front of judges and lawyers. It's uh, good to be around folks who really understand what the Attorney General's office does. Uh, all of you have been at some point or another, uh, since you have a bar license, at a family reunion or a, a dinner party where someone who was not a lawyer wants to talk to you about bankruptcy or their uh, nephew's criminal case uh, or a contract dispute that they have. And you understand that the public really believes that every lawyer with a bar license knows everything and they expect you to have all of the answers. Well, as the Attorney General candidate, I'm the only candidate running for Attorney General that has real and significant experience. I was practicing law for 14 years before I became a prosecutor, and when I became the prosecutor for 10 years, I already had uh, been in court, had tried cases, I knew what it meant to hire and train and supervise attorneys to be in trial. I also was an administrator, so in a county of 100,000 people, um, I had 10 lawyers that I supervised. and. 22 uh, staff and a budget that didn't change. So when I started as attorney as a prosecutor in 2005, I had 3,000 cases I was filing. By the time I ended 10 years later, I was filing 8,000 cases a year with the same budget, no increase, no increase in staff, no increase in money, and we were still as effective and efficient and as successful as we were when I started out in 2005. And so this is an office that requires someone who has some real experience. The Attorney General's office is the top law enforcement office of the state of Missouri. Make no mistake of that. With an office of over 180 lawyers, it ought to have someone in there who has actually been in a courtroom and practiced law and supervised attorneys. And so I'm going to have folks today tell you that this isn't a prosecutor's office. And let's talk about that for a minute. Because when you look at the Attorney General's office of over 180 attorneys, what they do is that they uphold the very felony convictions that a lot of you have out of your courtrooms. And all of the prosecutors, there's 115 elected prosecutors, every felony conviction they have that goes on appeal, the Attorney General's office has to uphold those. The Attorney General's office spends its time sending assistant Attorney Generals out throughout the counties, all 115 counties, 
have someone from the Attorney General's office in those counties at some point in court. You've probably had some of those yourself as judges. And so the Attorney General's office does special prosecutor cases, prosecutor cases. The Attorney General's office assists the prosecutors uh, around the state in when they have uh, not enough resources for murder cases. In the last election, we had 37 new prosecutors that were elected around the state of Missouri with three and four years of experience. Barely enough experience to be a prosecutor. And yet, there they are. They are inundating the Attorney General's office with requests for assistance. The next Attorney General better be someone who has supervised attorneys to go into court because they're going to have to do that. It better be someone who has done uh, training and preventive work and task forces and work with law enforcement. I'm the only candidate who has done that, and I uh, would like for you to look really closely at my opponent's records. Uh, both fellows on each side of me, I will give them credit. This is not an easy thing to get up and run for office. It's not an easy thing to get up and do a debate in front of all of you today. And yet here they are. You have to commend people who will run for office because they believe in what they're doing. But this is a law office first and foremost. And so I hope you'll take a really good look at that as we go forward today and really think about what it means to be the next Attorney General. Thank you. Thank you, Teresa. Jake? Thanks, Ed, and thanks all of you for being here and for your interest in the race. I'm running for Attorney General because there's a fundamental value at stake in Missouri and maybe even in our politics across the country, and that's fairness. We have a moment in time coming where we have the opportunity to choose between a politics that represents the people our public servants are supposed to serve and between one that caves into the demands of special interests, to the demands of narrow ideology, to the demands of all of the worst political impulses of the day. And so, I often open with a story from uh, my days as a young assistant attorney general at the attorney general's office. I do so with some hesitation today because the guy who was my boss 15 years ago and the guy who hired me there 15 years ago are both sitting in the room. So I take that risk <laughs> fully advisedly. At least one of them sitting on the bench now, so he has to be somewhat limited in what he says. Um, but I recall a case uh, that they shoved on my desk because another lawyer had left the office, a more senior lawyer. And it came with a recommendation from the lawyer who had left the office. She said, probably close this file. It's small potatoes, and it's also it's internet fraud. It's tough to prosecute, and it's probably not worth our time. Well, I took a look at the file. It was called the Tech Geeks case. Now, the Tech Geeks had a very sophisticated business model. They would sell you a laptop on the internet for $2,000. You sent them $2,000. They send you no laptop. $2,000 in profit for them. Straightforward for them, not so great for you. And also not a case that it would make economic sense for anybody in private practice sitting in this room or in any law firm anywhere in the state to take. Well, let me tell you something about that sophisticated internet fraud. It wasn't so sophisticated. The tech geeks were a 20-year-old kid working out of his mom's basement in St. Francis County. It further turns out that a 30-minute conversation with a tough old investigator in St. Francis County with the young man, and he quickly admitted what he did, we got a restitution order for the victim. The point of this story is not the bad guy that we prosecuted. The point of this story is that there is no such thing as small potatoes. Because that $2,000 for the young man trying to get through community college, for whom $2,000 was the difference between whether he had books for his classes next semester or not. Number one, it wasn't small potatoes. And number two, the Attorney General's office was the only law firm in the state that could have gotten that result for him. 
And that, I want to suggest to you, is what you have a right to expect out of your next Attorney General. Someone who understands that the people of this state need representation, representation that works first and foremost for them. You know, I've devoted my life to fighting for fairness in the state of Missouri. Whether it's my time as a state legislator standing up for Missouri's most vulnerable citizens, my work as an assistant attorney general, or in my current job as St. Louis County Assessor fighting against those who seek to game the system and lower their bills and thereby make everybody else pay a little bit more. But the principle remains the same. Just as there isn't a Democratic or a Republican way to assess a piece of property, there isn't a Democratic or a Republican way to enforce the law. But there is a right way and a wrong way. There is a fair way and an unfair way. And that's why I'm running for Attorney General. Thank you. And Jake, do you have any uh, changes that you plan on making if you're elected? So, you know, I happen to think the Attorney General's office is pretty well run right now. And I have some bias in saying that I think it was pretty well run under the last Attorney General as well. But I think it's quite clear that there's always going to be room for improvement. And the biggest challenge that the Attorney General's office is always going to face, because it's such a large law firm, because you've got a couple hundred attorneys and a couple of hundred full-time employees who do not have JD after their name, resource allocation is the fundamental challenge that an office such as the AG's office faces. Right? Budgets aren't just dried pieces of paper. Budgets are moral documents. Budgets are the way that leaders express their priorities. I see this in the office I run right now with 110 employees and a budget of roughly $11 million, right? Where you choose to emphasize your resources, who you go after, what you declare to be a priority is what matters. And so when I think about my time working in consumer protection in that office, and also when I think of some of the other critical areas of emphasis, like environmental protection, like defending criminal convictions in the highest courts of the land, it's very clear to me that that's going to be the dominant question I'll face on my first day as Attorney General. Teresa, would you like to address that, what changes you might make as Attorney General? I would. I also agree that the Attorney General's office, I think, is being well run, and there are good people in that office, and I'm uh, fond of the fellow who's been there. Uh, in fact, let me kind of talk about that for just a second. In, uh, Chris Coster was the prosecutor in Cass County. He was a Republican at the time. Uh, I was a Democrat defense attorney, and so for 10 years, uh, I watched as Chris Coster was the prosecutor. He became uh, a state senator and took over that office and was there for 10 years. Uh, I took over an office that he had staff in. He hires good people, and there's good people in that office. Um, for me, the Attorney General's office isn't just about prosecuting cases, and it's not just about filing uh, cases on consumer fraud uh, and making sure that we enforce all of the laws. Um, there's more that this next Attorney General can do, and I see myself doing that. As, a as prosecutor, um, I did a lot of task forces. I was always looking for ways to do training for law enforcement and for children's division and for those folks that we were dealing with. So as prosecutor, I had 21 murder convictions, over uh, 1,000 felony or uh, convictions total, but 500 of those, over 500 convictions for sexual assault, domestic violence, and child sex abuse cases. And all of you know those to be he said, she said cases. They're the cases that are the hardest to make. Most prosecutors won't file them. We filed them, we made them over 500 times. And we did so because I spent so much time making sure that we were training 
law enforcement and children's division and that we were handling the cases so that when we got to a 491 hearing we were able to make sure that that child statements were admissible in court and we were able to make sure that, that child got the justice that it deserved I have sat with hundreds and hundreds of sexual assault victims and children some of incest and so this is an office that needs to and can lead the way the Attorney General does the training at the prosecutor uh, statewide trainings <coughs> every year the next Attorney General has an obligation, I think, to start looking at doing more sexual assault discussions. Uh, when we have someone go into a police department, if Josh goes out today and his car is stolen out of the parking lot and he makes a police report, the police officer is going to ask him about that, talk to him about where was it sitting, how was it, how was it, uh, how did it happen, um, how long did you leave it there. When a woman goes into a police department and she comments and tells them that I'm here to report a rape, they start asking her about what was she wearing? Had you been drinking? And it makes it so difficult for women. This sort of start by believing uh, needs to change. We need to change the attitude and the atmosphere that we have. And so I have some priorities. Sexual assault, obviously, is one of them because I had 93 out of that 500. 93 of those cases were child sex cases in a county of 100,000 people. I had a new child sex conviction every six weeks. And so we have got to start addressing that around the state. My other priority uh, is alternative courts. So while I sent a lot of folks to prison, I also believe in alternative courts, DWI courts, drug courts, mental health courts, veterans courts. Around the state, we know that they are successful where they're working. We just need to make sure that they are working and are effective around the whole state so that we're not sending everybody to prison. Uh, one of the things I would say to new assistant prosecutors is we're not always charging a criminal. Sometimes we charge someone who just made a really bad decision on any given night. And so the, it's important that the next attorney general start looking at other ways uh, to help smaller counties address these issues rather than sending everybody to prison. Thank you. Josh, would you like to address that same sure. question? Sure. Well, it, it will not surprise you to uh, hear me say that I do not think that the current Attorney General has been doing such a spectacular job, and I do not think that the uh, Attorney General's office as it currently run is the best it could be. And in fact, there are two things that I'd like to see changed. Uh, well, among others, but two places where I would start. The first is I think we need a new unit within the Attorney General's office focused on public corruption. We have a corruption problem in Jefferson City, and we have a corruption problem in the Attorney General's office. I mean, let's not mince words. And so I think we need a new unit that will coordinate with local law enforcement, local prosecutors or prosecuting attorneys, and federal law enforcement to investigate and prosecute public corruption cases in Jefferson City among our elected officials. I've worked on this plan, developed it with local prosecutors. I think it's absolutely vital. It's time for the Attorney General's office to no longer be part of the problem, but again to lead the way in reforming Jefferson City and the way Jefferson City does business. People across our state have lost confidence in our elected officials and in Jefferson City in particular. There's a reason for that. It's because we have a serious ethics problem. It's time for this office to take the lead in cleaning it up. I'd also like to see a new federalism unit within the Office of the Attorney General, probably led by the Solicitor General of the state, that will focus on standing up for the citizens of our state against the regulatory overreach that I mentioned a few minutes ago. We need to go into court and to fight the EPA attempting to regulate our farms out of existence, to fight this administration's attempt to regulate our energy production and drive up costs by double digits for working families. We need this office, the Attorney General's office, to become again a spokesperson for the people of this state, the citizens and consumers of this state, against the bureaucrats who are threatening our way of life and are threatening to drive our small businesses, our small banks, our small farms out of existence. And so I would create a federalism unit. Other states have done this to great acclaim with great success. Oklahoma is one example. 
I think it's a good model and I'd like to see that replicated. I want to echo something that Teresa said a minute ago. She talked about the work, important work that the Attorney General's office does in upholding criminal convictions. That's absolutely right. You know, the, the Attorney General's office is principally an appellate office. It's an office for an appellate lawyer. That's exactly what I am. That's what I have been doing in federal courts, in state courts, in the United States Supreme Court. And that's why I say again, I think it's time that we hired someone whose background <coughs> is in law, not in politics, who's an outsider and is ready to go to Jefferson City to clean it up and to stand up for the people of Missouri in the most important fights of our time. Thank you. Uh, the next question is about the Missouri plan, the nonpartisan court plan. And uh, it's, it's a plan that has been adopted in many, many states where they follow what, what we started here in Missouri to try to get uh, politics out of, out of the appointment of judges. And I think most people think it has worked very well. But I'd like to know your views on the nonpartisan court plan. Josh, you want to start? Sure. Well, I think that uh, the nonpartisan court plan, uh, I'm afraid to say, is nonpartisan in name only. So I think that there needs to be reforms to the court plan. I think that, that the lawyers of our state, look, I'm a lawyer, as are all of us. I like lawyers. I'm married to a lawyer. But I don't think that lawyers ought to control the selection of judges uh, to the bench in our state. I think we've got great judges on the court. I see many of you here, including our Supreme Court. But I do think that our, our the so-called nonpartisan court plan, I think, tends towards unaccountability. It tends to be shrouded in secrecy, and the people do not have a say in a way that I think is appropriate in our country. I'd like to see, ideally, either changes to the court plan that allows for a more open democratic process or the federal Thank plan. You. My view is, is if it was good enough for James Madison, it's probably good enough for the state of Missouri where the governor nominates and the legislature either votes yes or votes no. So I think those are important changes to preserve the integrity of our court system going forward and to assure democratic accountability throughout the system and the appointment of our judges in these extremely important uh, roles. And let me just again say thank you to all of you who serve on the bench and for the work that you're doing. I don't want this to sound like it's criticism of you. Uh, what I do want to say is I, I, I want it to be criticism of a, of a plan that I think too often tends, towards, tends to reward special interests. Teresa? Yes, well, I believe the Missouri plan works well. And so let's talk about um, Josh wanting to see a change in how we elect officials and how we uh, talk about uh, lobbying and, and gifts and contributions. Do we really want to see our uh, judges have to be down to the same level of taking $500,000 from one individual in order to get elected as a judge. Our plan works. It's worked for a long time. It works well. Uh, I don't see any reason to change it. And we have enough problems already with no limits in contributions. Uh, I'd like to know that my judges aren't hired by one person. Uh, we already have that problem in our elected officials. Thank you. Jake? Uh, well, you've only got one person up here with a, uh, with a track record on this subject, uh, and not just because I served as legal counsel to a governor and because I have some understanding of the care and the thought and the meticulous attention to substance that goes into selections under the Missouri Nonpartisan Court Plan, but also because I served in the state legislature during a time when the court plan was under attack by people, much like Professor Hawley, who seem to think that what Missouri needs is more politics and more ideology injected into our ideological and into our judicial selection process. And at the time on the floor of the legislature, at the time I was fighting against a gentleman named Jim Lemke, which is a name perhaps some folks in this room may know. Uh, at the time I was uh, quoted as saying not just no, but hell no. And there's a reason for that. 
And the reason for that is not just that the Missouri nonpartisan court plan is such a model for the rest of the country that every place else that uses it calls it the Missouri plan and is proud to have adopted the Missouri plan. The reason is because the cure for the purported disease proposed by those who want to do something about it always seems to be one that involves injecting more politics and specifically more narrow right-wing ideological politics into the selection of the judiciary. There is no need for that. There is no place for that. We need to stand firm and loud to say that nonpartisan judicial selection works. The framers of our state constitution designed it for a very good reason, and we ought to keep it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Teresa, uh, if you're elected, uh, would you be willing to forcefully and zealously give the next governor of Missouri advice that they don't want to hear? Well, let me go back to saying again, for 10 years I was a defense attorney as a Democrat uh, in the same county where Chris Coster was a Republican prosecutor. Uh, I have known Chris for over 22 years. He is used to me giving him uh, advice and my opinion and to agree with him or disagree with him on many occasions. So I believe that our next governor, uh, Governor Chris Coster, and I would be able to work <laughs> together well, and I'd be able to make sure that I... Uh, uh, that I gave him my opinion even when he disagreed with it. Uh, I do want to talk about just real quick um, because, again, clearly uh, we have partisan politics on this stage. Um, Jake and I agree on many, many core values, and I believe that it's good to have Democrats in office. I'm a strong Democrat supporter, and I hope that Jake is successful in years to come. But I do want to point that <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is probably not his race. Um, I, I, they have two fellows on this stage who haven't really practiced law for the last 10 years. He's going to talk about what he's done, but I hope you will look at their records that they have online. Um, Jay came out of law school and he uh, worked for a year at the Attorney General's office. That's barely enough time to find the key to the bathroom. Uh, he also worked in the, in the governor's office for a year. Again, like Jake, he's a great guy. He, has, he really has devoted himself to public service. He has been a state rep and the assessor. Again, I hope that he does well in years to come, but I just don't believe that he will serve us best as Attorney General. Josh Hawley, seriously, when we're talking about someone who can talk about the Constitution and in the same breath will talk to you about his religious rights, it's hard to believe that someone can go to both extremes. And so please pay attention today at what is at stake for the Attorney General's office. We are talking about an office, as you know, no one knows better than this room. So it's fun to be here with judges and attorneys that really understand what is at stake in this office. Jake would do a good job, there's no doubt about it. But would you rather have someone in that office who has been doing this job for the last 14 and 10 years as a private attorney and then a, a prosecutor? Uh, and so again, this is such an important office and I'm very passionate about what I did in the prosecutor's office and so I don't even remember what your question was. <laughs> <laughs> I turned this into whatever I wanted it, it to. It was a good answer. Josh, after you. Yeah, let me just say that uh, I'm not sure quite what Teresa means when she says that uh, you talk about the Constitution and about religious rights in the same sentence. Religious rights are in the Constitution. The First Amendment of the United States Constitution protects the rights of all Americans of all religious backgrounds to practice their faith. And one of the great assaults that we see on limited government and on the security and the rights of the people of Missouri is this federal government's overreach into every aspect of our lives, including our churches and ministries and houses of worship. There's just no denying it. 
And I think that if you are not committed to standing up to the religious rights of all Americans, then you're not committed to defending the Constitution of the United States. And that's an oath that we take. You're also not committed to defending the Constitution of Missouri. And that's an oath that we take. And the bigger issue here is, if you want to stand up for the people of Missouri, for the needs of Missouri citizens, you have to be committed to fighting back against this aggressive overreach by federal bureaucrats and state bureaucrats. And just to pick up on Ed's original question for a second, what I'd be willing to give the governor, who I don't think will be Chris Coster, but what I'd be willing to give uh, the, the governor advice that uh, he or she does not want to hear, absolutely I would. I'd be willing to give state agencies advice they don't want to hear. State agencies like the Department of Natural Resources, who's currently suing a small Lutheran church in Columbia, Missouri. The case is at the United States Supreme Court. Agencies like the University of Missouri, which has had, I think, an unconstitutional free speech policy, a policy that violates free speech currently enacted on its campus. So yes, I am willing to stand up for the people of Missouri against the powerful and whomever else needs to be stood up to in order to protect all of the rights that are in our Constitution, in our laws, and for our people. No, sorry, Ed, but it's always your religious beliefs, not everyone's religious no, no. beliefs. It's usually just your religious beliefs that you're protecting. No, no, I don't. No, I don't. I, dis, I disagree. I disagree with that. No, it's the it's the beliefs of all. It's the belief. The, the the First Amendment protects the religious rights of all, and I'm proud to have uh, to. I'm also proud to have been a practicing attorney. Uh, I was a practicing attorney right up until I had to uh, start this campaign, or when I did start this campaign, and the, the law firm that I worked for most recently, the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, is a 501c3. We've defended the religious rights of folks from all over the country, and I stood, uh, stepped down from that, from that active practice when I started the campaign, but I've been in active practice in one way or another since the time I became a lawyer here in the state of Missouri, my home state. Jake, do you want to respond to what the other candidates have said? I, I think maybe I'll decline to participate in the sniping because we have enough of that in our uh, politics so far, but I'll, I'll answer your question. Um, because I have had occasion to give legal advice to a governor. Uh, and I can also remember in the context of serving as a legal counsel to a governor uh, that it was relatively frequent that uh, our thoughts in the governor's office might have been somewhat different than what the attorney general and his staff thought. And sometimes, frankly, we didn't much like what we heard from the attorney general's office, but it's the job of the attorney general as set forth in the Missouri Constitution to provide independent advice. And so while, yes, I hope the next governor is Chris Coster, uh, whether the next governor is on my team or on somebody else's team shouldn't affect the fundamental principle of the job, right, which is to be an independent advocate, to understand, to enforce, and to support the laws and the Constitution of this state as the Attorney General sees fit in the best possible way in understanding with what they actually mean. That's the job, and the important thing is to do the job, and I'll come back to what I said at the beginning, there's not a Democratic or a Republican way to do that. Great. Jake, um, what would your, do you have, will you have a policy regarding choosing outside counsel uh, if you have to be recused from a case or your offices and you're going to hire outside counsel for any matter? What would, how would you handle that? You know, I saw this as uh, one of the proposed questions and I smiled a little bit because I've actually gone through this recently. Um, because I do run an office with a large budget and with, uh, with 100 plus employees. And I deal with this a fair amount. I am the uh, respondent or the defendant in thousands of cases in the Missouri courts and before the state tax commission. So it's a questionable honor, but I wear it with pride. Uh, but one context is that uh, sometimes you need outside appraisers and sometimes you need outside lawyers. 
And it happens to be the case that just recently, in a relatively big case that I anticipate we will ultimately litigate before the state Supreme Court, um, we had a choice of outside counsel after uh, going through an RFP process and eliminating folks who either had conflicts or didn't have the necessary expertise. There were two finalists. Both of them had years of practice expertise in the specific area of appellate practice that we needed. One of them happens to be an old friend of mine of many years, a longtime supporter of my campaign, a member of my synagogue. The other of them I don't know from Adam, never met him before in my life. As you might expect, the second one, uh, the partner hourly billing rate, significantly cheaper than the first one. And I hope you can already guess which one we chose, right? Because when you are spending the taxpayer dollar, it is vitally important that you have the taxpayer's interest at heart, not the interest of your buddies. And to that end, I think it is worth talking about the culture of corruption in Jeff City, which Professor Hawley has correctly diagnosed, but I think perhaps he's uh, pointing his finger in the wrong direction. And he might be well suited to take a look at some of the members of his own party, not him himself, to be clear, um, but certainly the uh, legislative leadership and the folks in Jeff City who for too long have made clear that they got no trouble with selling Missouri government to the highest bidder. We are not the only state in the union where it is completely legal to give a million dollar contribution to a political candidate. We are not the only state in the union where it is completely legal for lobbyists to hand out freebies, steak dinners, tickets to concerts, trips, you name it, in return for whatever favor they might seek to curry. We're not the only state in the union where it is completely legal for someone to leave public service tomorrow and become a lobbyist lobbying those same people the very next day, soon to be quote unquote reformed into all of a six month ban. Folks, we are the only state in the union where all three of those things are true. If you want to know what's wrong with Jeff City, if you want to know why that culture needs to be cleaned up and why this question is so important, that's why. Teresa? Well, I'm glad Jake wasn't going to participate in sniping. That was good. I liked it. Um, so as prosecutor, constantly there were conflicts of interest. And as prosecutor, uh, you know, we uh, judges, you understand uh, conflicts of interest are usually a legal conflict. But in the prosecutor's office, you also would have appearances of impropriety. And so around the Kansas City area, uh, we have several counties, Jackson, Clay, Platt, uh, Cass County, Ray County. Um, Bates County, Johnson County, and we had formed a group that was able to, as prosecutors, to exchange those cases uh, as special prosecutors. So I've actually um, taken many special prosecutor cases from other prosecutors uh, in an effort, as Jake had mentioned, to save dollars for taxpayers. It's important that we are looking always at our budget and at the big budget for the state, not just that budget that falls within our office. Uh, and so I am well aware uh, of the need to make sure that we were always looking at saving, saving money, saving dollars. Uh, the RFP works. I think that we already have that set up uh, with the Office of Administration in, Office of Administration in Missouri who's going to give the, the lowest and the best bidder. And so it's important that we continue those processes and that we understand how important that is. And uh, there will be times that the Attorney General's Office will need to seek outside counsel. And I'm pretty comfortable that either one of us would be able to do that in a fair way. Josh? Yeah, I would add to this. I, I think that uh, I am not a believer in the friends and family plan for uh, seeking outside counsel. In fact, I'm not a big fan of outside counsel in general. I think the Attorney General's Office should do less of it. I think our goal should be to use those 170, 180, 200 attorneys 
to maximum uh, to the maximum extent possible and to do our own work. I think one of the reasons we need an appellate lawyer with litigation experience in federal court in the U.S. Supreme Court is we shouldn't be outsourcing that work. We should be doing it ourselves whenever possible. Now, I do think that Missouri law has made a good start when it comes to the RFP process, but I think there are additional things that could be done. I think before particularly the Attorney General's Office sets up a contingency fee contract arrangement that the Attorney General should have to make a finding in writing that this arrangement is necessary and that the public will benefit in a tangible way so that there is a review that is done beforehand there is a tangible review with a tangible written commitment and explanation and then i think there ought to be limits on the amounts of recovery that any contingency fee contract can get from the state because the point of this again is to make this office serve the people of missouri not to serve private interests and so we need to be sure that the incentives are aligned in the right way because let's be honest part of this culture of corruption that we're talking about and by the way i agree with much of what jake said Part of the problem of the culture of corruption is you have lots of special interests who are seeking favors from the government. Sometimes those can be these very lucrative contracts, contingency fee arrangements that then come back in the form of campaign contributions. We've got to make sure that that does not happen. So I'm for increased transparency, increased limits, and increased scrutiny uh, in this area. If um, you had to use outside counsel, would you um, uh, prohibit them or would you refuse to accept campaign contributions from any outside counsel that you hired? I think that's probably a wise move, yes, Ed. Yeah. How do you feel about that, Teresa? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Jay? Makes sense. Let's go to something that's uh, non-controversial. Um, <laughs> the abortion issue. Um, let's start with uh, Josh. Uh, how do you feel about the abortion issue, and, and how would you uh, defend Missouri law in that arena? Well, I'm, I'm proud to be pro-life. I've been pro-life my whole life. Uh, unlike uh, uh, my opponent and the Republican primary, Senator Schaefer, who I missed, by the way. I'm sorry that the senator isn't here. When you see him next, tell him that we missed him. We sure wish he were here to debate the issues. Sorry to see him ducking this debate. But um, I am, uh, am pro-life. Uh, I, I uh, believe in the right to life firmly. I also believe in Missouri law. I think Missouri law needs a defense. And so I would be proud as Attorney General to give our pro-life laws here in the state of Missouri a vigorous defense. I think they are entirely consistent with the United States Constitution and federal laws that currently stands. I would vigorously litigate that. And in general, I would be in favor and happy and willing and eager to defend any pro-life legislation uh, that the Missouri legislature and the governor of the state uh, were able to sign and to give me to defend. Teresa? Sitting with victims hundreds of times talking to them about the uh, sexual abuse that they had to undergo. We would visit about their health care and their financial status uh, and the abuse that they had gone through. I had a 13-year-old girl that was pregnant by her biological father. Those are horrific stories. They are complex. They're not easy answers. And it's actually time that we trusted women to make a judgment about a very complex and personal matter, not be political about it. In fact, this politicizing in just this last year um, is archaic and is callous and it's unfortunate. And so I do find it also, uh, you know, as, as the Missouri Attorney General, I absolutely will enforce the laws. I have a record of doing that for 10 years as a Cass County prosecutor. But we're at a point where who is in that office next matters. And when we look at, it is unfortunate that Mr. Kurt Schaefer isn't here, because he has just spent the last several months misusing his authority with a subpoena. He kept 
intimidating and threatening and harassing and challenging the Planned Parenthood president to go to jail. Even though he had known that Planned Parenthood's investigation had been cleared and that the very people who had, invest had instigated it had actually been charged with a crime. All of you know that Supreme Court Rule 5503 requires that attorneys not issue subpoenas unless, and of course there is a reasonable basis, where officers of the court and the very man who wanted to use that subpoena as a witch hunt would like to be your next attorney general. It matters who's going to be in this office next because the attorney general charges people with a crime, goes after corporations, takes care of the very interests of the people of Missouri. It's important who holds this job next. And so again, as Missouri's Attorney General, I will do what I've done in the prosecutor's office and that's continue to enforce the law and follow the law and do what's right on every single case that we touched in that office. Jake? Well, Teresa's absolutely right that uh, the Attorney General's office is no place for anyone who wants to go on a partisan witch hunt to satisfy their own narrow ideological agenda. And that's why the answer to this question is important, because it's a little bit different than the answer I would have given you when I served in the legislature some years ago. And those of you who knew me during my time in the legislature, and even those of you who didn't, you can take a look at my voting record, right? It's not hard to figure out what I think about this issue and to say that I have a polite disagreement with Professor Hawley would probably be understating matters. But that's not the point. The point is that the purpose of this office is not to pursue ideological warfare. The purpose of this office is to defend and enforce the laws of the state of Missouri and the United States, including the settled constitutional law as set forth by the United States Supreme Court. Anyone who wants to subsume that to their own personal definition of whichever side of the spectrum they come from, whether it's on this issue or marriage equality or whatever else may be the issue that comes before you, the question I would invite you to ask yourselves is, is that really what you want out of an attorney general? I'll say again what I said at the beginning and I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. There's not a Democratic or a Republican way to enforce the law, but there is a fair way and there is an unfair way. And I would suggest using that principle to answer the question rather than your own moral, emotional, or ideological priors. Thank you. Uh, Jake, what criteria would you use in deciding whether to join with other attorneys generals in uh, multi-state actions against business entities accused of wrongdoing. That's become a major issue around the country. Well, and it's been a major issue for some years, going back to some uh, multi-states that I worked on in the Attorney General's office, right? Because when the Attorney General's office chooses to enter into a multi-state investigation, instantly you put together the very, very powerful resources of a very, very large, potentially nationwide law firm and great power comes with great responsibility. And the baseline test has to be what is in the best interests of the people of Missouri whom this office is supposed to represent. Whether it's the act of entering into a multi-state, whether it's the act of bringing criminal or civil charges, or whether it's the simple act of sending off a civil investigative demand for the first time, that needs to be the touchstone. And where attorneys general on both sides of the aisle have gotten into trouble on this question, it's usually been in service to either a set of donors or in service to a set of ideological principles rather than going back to baseline, which is does this job advance the needs of the people of the state I serve? Teresa? Well, Jake's right. You know, when, when you're looking at 
uh, filing a case, it first and foremost has to be determined of whether it's a case that you would file initially in your state. Is this a case that you would go after and would go forward? And the benefit then of joining other states is that you get witnesses, you get expert witnesses, uh, you get more resources that make that case easier uh, and better. And, and that's what you're looking at is making it easier and better and, and more successful for the very people of the state of Missouri. Thank you. Josh? I think it has to, you have to ask yourself, is it in the vital interests of the, of the people of Missouri, the citizens of Missouri, and is there a case to be made? But I think the, the question should be slightly reframed because what we really ought to be asking ourselves is what are the criteria for joining multi-state litigation against government entities, federal government entities, whose regulations are stifling our economy, our businesses, our farms, and so forth. You know, it is, I think, to Missouri's great detriment that we have not been part of key efforts in the last eight years to resist federal regulatory overreach and other regu regulatory overreach that so badly burdens consumers, citizens, farmers, churches in our state. Uh, efforts like the, uh, uh, the lawsuit, the litigation to block the EPA's Waters of the United States rule or to block the EPA's so-called Clean Power Plan, which is actually a power grab that would drive energy prices in this state up by double digits. You want to protect pr consumers? Do you want to protect working families? The people of Missouri, the, uh, the Attorney General's office should be standing against those things. Now, yes, Chris Coster did belatedly, when it became clear that both suits were going to succeed at the injunctive phase, he did belatedly join those suits. We should have been leading the effort, and there are more. The efforts to protect small banks in our, in our communities, to protect small business against burdensome regulation. So here again, I think it's time for us to shift focus. We have into a new day, a new era with a new set of challenges, and it's time for Missouri to lead the way in protecting the citizens and consumers of our state in this new time from these new challenges. Uh, the Ferguson Commission, I believe, recommended that um, if a police officer is under investigation for murder, for example, in St. Louis City, um, for murdering a citizen, that that those cases should be referred to the Attorney General's office to handle, rather than have the, the Circuit Attorney's office handle them, uh, because they work with those police departments and the police officers on a daily basis. Um, Teresa, what, what do you think about that? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I have been a special prosecutor for other counties uh, for those very reasons. And prosecutors who know that they have a conflict um, seek out the Attorney General's office and other prosecutors to take those types of cases. Um, it is a fine line that we are approaching there. And so as the next Attorney General, I believe there should be a task force um, that starts looking at how we want to handle those cases. Because once we start down that road, if you'll remember in Maryville, a national case where the prosecutor uh, let go of a, a rape case that he had filed and then he, he uh, dismissed it. Uh, it became a national case and the question and the push was have him get a special prosecutor. It was a discretionary thing as the judges know. It's up to the prosecutor to request that. And so once we start down that road are we going to say well now we're going to have uh, rape cases as well go to the Attorney General because we can't trust the discretion of the prosecutors. We have 115 prosecutors, 114 counties in the city of St. Louis that elect their prosecutor. Voters elect their prosecutors. And they elect their prosecutors because they answer to the people in that county. Uh, and I think that's an important thing that we don't take away, that we continue to have that discretion for prosecutors. And so there's a really fine line here, and I think it needs a discussion of a lot of really smart people in a room together. And so if that means bringing together FOP and Black Lives Matter and judges and elected officials and clergy and civic leaders to start having that discussion, I think the next Attorney General has an obligation and a, 
a responsibility to start that conversation and determine where we want to go to it. It's certainly not something I would have liked this Republican legislature to do a knee-jerk reaction to. And so it is a, a really fine line. It's something we want to make sure that we are doing right before we decide how we're going to do that. I know Kurt Schaefer at some point, um, not this year, but the year before, had talked about wanting to put all of the prosecutors uh, under the discretion of the Attorney General. What a mistake that would be. And so again, we have a, we have a system that works we're expected as prosecutors to actually um, make a decision, whether it's a legal conflict of interest or we just believe many times just the appearance of impropriety I felt would, would cause us to do a special prosecutor. And so we have to rely on electing the folks in these jobs as prosecutors and attorney general uh, that have good judgment and know how to make those decisions. Josh? Yeah, the overwhelming bulk of criminal jurisdiction in our state, as you know, is, is held by local prosecutors, by prosecuting attorneys, and that's for good reasons. Teresa's mentioned them. It's because they are elected by the people. It's the level of government closest to the people, and they are accountable in that democratic way to the people. I am very skeptical okay. of efforts to centralize prosecutorial authority uh, in the in Jefferson City. For that reason, I think that uh, my opponent, uh, Senator Kurt Schaefer, his efforts that Teresa just alluded to, to centralize uh, criminal jurisdiction in Jefferson City is a disastrous idea. There's a reason prosecutors all over the state oppose that. They should have opposed that. And we don't need more centralized power. And just think what a prosecutor, what an attorney general, rather, who is out of control could do with such prosecutorial authority. So for similar reasons, I am skeptical of forced recusals or, or of transfers of jurisdiction. Um, there, are, there are recusal uh, rules on the books. Uh, th those are good rules. Prosecutors should follow those. But I also know that it's a common experience of prosecutors to prosecute police officers. Uh, a prosecutor who's been in office for any length of time is likely to have done it. Those who have been in office for some length of time have pro probably prosecuted dozens, depending on the size of their county. They can do it. It's important that the current rules are followed and followed fairly. But uh, this idea that we should further centralize Authority in Jefferson City, whether it's criminal jurisdiction or prosecutorial authority, I think is a very dangerous one. Jake? Well, Teresa is certainly right that there's no one-size-fits-all solution here. Uh, but it doesn't follow from that that the solution can be do nothing. And so I don't stand up here purporting to have the answers, and I doubt that anybody in this room has all the answers. Uh, but it is critically important that we not let this moment pass in our public conversation in this state and not find a way to improve and reform both our criminal justice system and our municipal court systems throughout the state. Um, you know, on August 9th of 2014, my, uh, my son Gabriel, who's now almost two, was born. The, uh, that same day as I was in a hospital room with uh, Megan celebrating the greatest joy a human being can celebrate, uh, something very different was happening in Ferguson. And my home community, our home community, experienced um, an impact, the reverberations of which are still being felt throughout our state and, in fact, throughout the country. And we can't bury our heads in the sand. We can't pretend that nothing has happened. And I strongly suspect that I'm looking at a room, as I look at a lot of the time when I speak about this issue, where there are um, divided minds on this issue and on the right way forward, and that's okay. But there ought not be divided hearts. We ought to all take it as our responsibility, those of us with JD after our names, and perhaps especially those of you sitting here with the honorable before your names, to recognize that we ought not let this moment pass without trying to find a way to create 
a judicial system, a justice system, and a law enforcement world that people in our communities on the sides of some very, very big gulfs can find a way to have more respect for, more faith in, more trust in, because that'll ultimately be better for all of us. Thank you. Uh, and I can tell you, when I was U.S. Attorney, we worked with the St. Louis City Police Department on a very regular basis, and yet we still prosecuted dozens of police officers for many different kinds of offenses. That's, that's my view of that situation, uh, that the local prosecutors can handle it. But um, it's time for closing argument, uh, closing statement. Um, Jake, do you want to start off? I'd be happy to. Um, <clears throat> thanks, thanks again, everybody, for being here and for caring. Right? If you take nothing away from this conversation, please take away this, perhaps of all the down-ballot offices, it matters. And it's good to be able to have a good and a substantive conversation and, where appropriate, a friendly disagreement. Um, back to the point about all the folks in this room with JD after their name and those of you with the honorable before your name, right? Because I am standing out here looking at a room and looking at a stage filled with people who have had more than their share of success in life. Um, but I don't think I'm looking at a whole lot of people with five generations behind you who had that same story of success. I bet there's a lot of people in this room who look like me, right? My grandfather sold hot dogs in the South Shore of Chicago. Wasn't what he wanted to do. He dreamed of being a college professor. He dreamed of being an academic intellectual, but that wasn't in the cards for him. So he did what he knew how to do, and by the way, he sold a damn good hot dog. But <laughs> I stand on his shoulders, and I will venture to suggest that nearly everybody in this room stands on the shoulders of giants who came before them. The opportunities that were possible for all of us were made possible by people who came before us and by people who designed a system of governance dedicated to the idea that a democracy works best when it works for the people and when it strives to create opportunities for all. And those of us who are charged with the mission of being stewards of the justice system, which is every practicing lawyer in this room and throughout the state, have it as a responsibility to try to make that system a little bit more fair. I like to think that this is my one contribution that I can make right now, which is to try to make the Missouri Attorney General's office even more of a beacon, fighting for fairness, standing up for the principle that there isn't a Democratic or Republican way to enforce the law, standing for the principle that you deserve an Attorney General's office that will work for you and an Attorney General committed to fighting to clean up the culture of corruption in Jeff City. Thank you. Thank you. Teresa? Missourians deserve an attorney general that will make their lives better and safer and provide more opportunities. And so when we look at what we see as crime and we look at reports time and time again, we see that the basis of those is alcohol abuse and drug abuse and mental issues. We're filling our jails with mental issues. The warden told me up in Cameron, Missouri, that they're building a new unit of 174 beds just for a mental health unit. We send way too many folks to prison because of mental health issues. And so as Attorney General, I will continue to fight for, as I have uh, in the prosecutor's office, for alternative courts, drug courts and DWI courts, mental health courts, veterans courts. They matter to real people. And so as prosecutor, as a private attorney for 14 years before I became prosecutor, but as prosecutor for 10 years, I have fought for, for people, for victims, but also for those who had a chance to make a difference in their lives, 
Last September, I was in a grocery store when a man walked up to me and said, you're Teresa Hensley. You prosecuted my daughter. And in the grocery store, that's an uncomfortable place to be. Uh, I was looking for the back door, seeing if I could get away. When he held out his hand, he said, I want to thank you. He said, you gave my daughter an opportunity to go to drug court. And she was successful. And she now has a husband and a baby. And she has a job. And I recently, last week, just found out she has graduated from college. We made a difference. And her dad <coughs> stood there in tears, thanking me, telling me now she was a productive citizen, but mostly he got his daughter back. We know, as judges and lawyers, what a difference we make in people's lives. And that's important to me. And so I don't want to just be the Attorney General to handle cases. That's important to supervise and uh, train and hire uh, over 180 attorneys in that office that are doing a good job already. Uh, it's about doing more than that, as I did in the prosecutor's office. So I had task forces looking for best uh, practices, and I did a lot of law enforcement training because most of you as judges have heard uh, investigations that just really didn't get done. And I spent a tremendous amount in the prosecutor's office working on training my law enforcement in arson investiga investigations and domestic violence and child sex abuse cases. That's why we were successful in that office. Uh, and so I believe that the Attorney General has a responsibility to do more than just sit in that office, and that is to start looking at ways to m deal with these mental issues and drug abuse and alcohol abuse. And we know under those is the basic layer of affordable housing and more job opportunities and good education. And I think the next Attorney General has not just an opportunity but a responsibility to be handling and dealing with those issues and taking a look at them throughout the state of Missouri. Uh, I'm the only candidate that has the real experience in the prosecutor's office as an elected prosecutor. I think that matters, and I think it matters tremendously. Uh, I am ready to do this job on day one. My first day, January 5th, 2005, in the prosecutor's office, they opened the doors at 8 o'clock. I was there early. Many of my staff was there, except none of the attorneys were there yet. Uh, new boss, new day, they weren't there yet. And a detective had called, and one of the staff came to me and said, would you take this call? I took the call, and a man detective said, oh my gosh, I wasn't expecting to get the new woman prosecutor. And the next thing he said was, can you answer my question? <laughs> well, I've been practicing criminal law for 14 years. I thought I could probably answer his question, and I did. And so again, this is about doing the job on the day you walk into that office, being able to do this job on day one. I'd like to be your next Attorney General. Thank you for having us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Teresa. Josh? Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here, and thanks to Jake and Teresa as well. This has been a lot of fun and I think very substantive, which is great. You know, I think Missouri is at a, a turning point. Our state is at a turning point. We are 47th out of 50th in job growth. We are 48th out of 50th in economic growth, and we are losing folks relative to other states. People are choosing, they're going away to college, they're choosing not to come back to our state. Businesses are locating, relocating out of our state. Doctors are, de are declining to come to our state. We are at a moment of choosing. And are we going to be a place where people want to come and live, where you can build a business, build a family, own uh, your own, start your own company, start your own business, pursue your ministry if that's your calling in life, or are we going to be a place that is unfriendly to those things? Those are our choices before us, and the next Attorney General is going to have a large role to play, an important role to play in answering those questions. I think it's time for the Missouri Attorney General's Office to be, again, a leader in this country, a leader first in the fight for ethics reform, for cleaning up the culture of corruption in Jefferson City. I've said it several times, and I will say it again because it bears repeating. It's time for the Attorney General's Office to be part of the solution, not part of the problem, and the problem is a serious one. And it's time for an Attorney General who will stand up for the people of Missouri against the new challenges we are facing 
from overregulation, bureaucracy, assaults on our rights at the federal and the state levels. We need an AG who's willing to tell the governor to mind his own business or her own business, to tell the governor when they are doing something that's wrong, but also to tell state regulators that they're out of line, that they can't do what they want to do, that they're not allowed to trample people's rights in this way, and above all, to tell the federal government and unelected bureaucrats when they are out of line, when they are threatening and suppressing and harming the people of Missouri, the consumers of Missouri, the farmers of Missouri. This is a role that I am ready for. It's what I've been doing as a private attorney and private practice. For most of my career, I think it's what the next Attorney General needs to do. Here's what I would say in closing. We have tried the experiment of electing professional politicians as Attorney General for quite some time now in this state. I think it's time that we tried something different. Let's try electing a constitutional lawyer. Let's try electing someone who spent his life in the law and not in politics. Let's elect someone who's willing to stand up and ready to stand up for the people of Missouri in this new day and age with these new challenges. Thank you again so much for having us. It's been a real pleasure. I would like to thank all three of you for coming. We really appreciate you coming down. Uh, very, very impressive. Let's thank them.